I remember somebody coming up and they said, goodness comes out in your faces, the mirror and eyes. Your whole personality with me. You're deep down evidently a very happy person. I said, I am. I might have a lot, a lot of problems, I said. A lot of people bring me problems and I'm trying to, to work them out. And I said, you know, it could get you down. But I said, I have an inner peace in my heart that nothing can take. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Life Well Lived podcast with me, Shane Breslin. Over the first three weeks of this podcast, the guests have been a sports-based mental health activist, uh, Jessica Robson, an educator with a rebel stance on what education should be and do. That was Finbar Bradley and a disabled extreme endurance athlete and disability advocate, Sinead Kane. This week's is something different again. It's about religion, but I think it's about a lot more than just religion, and I really hope you enjoy it. I first heard of Sister Mary Scholastica exactly a year ago when I was idly watching a BBC TV documentary series called Sea Cities, which brought viewers around the coast of the United Kingdom meeting interesting characters in coastal towns. This small woman with the big persona and an unmistakable Irish accent who was making light of her obvious advancing years to go about her daily business in the city and port of Sunderland leapt out from the screen. I was in Newcastle upon Tyne uh, for the Great North Run in September last and arranged to make the short hop to Sunderland to spend a couple of hours with Sister Mary at the Stella Morris Centre, a tiny building away out on its own deep in the port of Sunderland. Seeing it as part of her vocation to help seafarers, Sister Mary established the, the Stella Maris Centre in recent years. Stella Maris is Latin for Star of the Sea, and her little building is a drop-in centre and a beacon of warmth for, for the seafarers from all over the world who arrive in the port of Sunderland every few days, many of them accustomed to pretty extreme working conditions. While I was there, our conversation was momentarily interrupted by a visit from four Ukrainian shipmen who seemed to have little English, but Sister Mary was able to communicate enough to arrange transport for them into the city centre. Um, with instructions of how to go about getting their mobile SIM card to allow them to contact home during their stay in Sunderland. The manager of the three mobile store in the city was in that documentary series saying that Sister Mary was one of his best customers as she regularly purchases a stack of SIM cards to hand out to travelling ship workers. It was a privilege for me to see uh, her generosity and hospitality up close. I was brought up Catholic, but I guess I would now be described as lapsed. Uh, I no longer go to Mass. I suppose the exposure of so many church scandals in recent years just eroded any confidence that I had in the hierarchy. But still, I've always recognised spirituality and warmth and generosity, and that those qualities can be present no matter what faith or belief system is in place. I loved talking to Sister Mary Scholastica about her childhood in the Ireland of the 1940s and 1950s, of her work in the Sisters of Mercy in Sunderland over the past 60 years. We also spoke about the scandals that have engulfed various strands of the Catholic Church, and she offered a passionate defence of her fellow nuns in the Sisters of Mercy and other religious orders and the contribution that they have made to Ireland and further afield. I hope you enjoy listening to Sister Mary. If you're already subscribed to the life well lived podcast thank you so much if you're not search for life well lived podcast wherever you get your podcast and hit subscribe and if you could leave a sh uh, leave a review for the show in itunes or or google podcast i would be very very grateful thank you again and without further ado on to the show sister mary it's, it's great to it's great to talk to you. it's great to sit down thank you for welcoming me here to the stella maris center in sunderland right on the port of sunderland um, if we if we talk a little bit about your your background back in you weren't always Sister Mary Sister no, Mary Scholastica. Where where did you come from? I was born Mary Nolan in the west of Ireland in County Galway. I came from a farming community, and the family com it was a great sense of community. It was a, a community that worked very very hard, and had great values, and your neighbours were like your your cousins and your part, too much part of your family. People helped each other, they shared the machinery. I was brought up luckily uh, when I saw the old traditions of horses and walking with horses. And then I saw very quickly how it changed into machinery. 
and I saw how it, with working with machinery, with working with animals, you had to have care as well, how you treated and how you worked it. And I thought you had to have greater care when you worked with machinery. And it was a mixed farming my, my parents had. Uh, we had uh, uh, cows, sheep, uh, uh, some goats on the farm, one or two goats to eat the, to eat the briars off the bushes and things like that. We also had, my mother had turkeys, chickens, uh, geese, um, every form of little animal. And I saw a new life. And I saw a respect for animal life. And also, if you have respect for little animal life, you'll have respect for the person as well. You should have. That was brought up then. It gave me a lovely background with a lovely lake in front of my home, the water. Um, I saw the water at night when I was young was turbulent. And when we prayed the rosary at night and we were a bit anxious with the thunder and lightning and storm, my mother would also pray for the fishermen off the west coast of Ireland and those who were out uh, fishing that night very far from their loved ones. My religion wasn't in one compartment and my active life and my living of life in another. They were both whole, the whole person. I felt very, very privileged to have such wonderful parents. My parents uh, were, um, my father was a self-educated man and he could talk on any topic. My nephews and my nieces and myself had university education and training. But they haven't the penship, not the culture, of the people. I noticed people brought uh, close to the soil. We all come from the soil humanists. And I've discovered something wonderful there of my childhood, that the more human you are, the more spiritual you are. And the more you're able to deal with other people as well. So what does, what, you mentioned about the more human you are, the more spiritual you are. What, what, I, what I does spirituality you, mean to you? Spirituality means to me in loving God and loving my neighbour. If I wasn't a Catholic or if I wasn't a thing, I would live by the commandments. The first three commandments are very important. The love of God and the love of neighbour. And that's why I find in all of the, the religions that I deal with as well. And probably that is why I can deal with Sikhs, Muslims, everything. I, have, um, have a, 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 I don't force my beliefs on anybody. They're free to com uh, come and talk to me about what they need. They're free, very free. And I admire them for being open and truthful. I'm a very direct person. I wouldn't like to hurt anybody. Um, because my father had a saying, whatever you do, do it well. Whenever you speak, speak kindly. Give joy where'er you dwell. Hmm. I saw that written down some years ago. After all those years of my childhood. Hmm. Hmm. Try to live by a certain maxims that I try to live by. Do you? Yeah. And do you write them down? Yeah. I, I have them in, in my mind. Mm. I just thought them in case they didn't yeah. bring duty. Because I have so many of them. Um, so many lovely things. Um, a lovely thing that as well when I talk about my community, I'll mention about that in my community mm. as well. Mm. Why? It'll give you an idea. Who I've been influenced by. I've been very lucky to have my godmother. She was 105 when she died. A most wonderful lady who had her compassments up to the end. I had my first teacher at um, the Sisters of Mercy who I went to school in Ireland. I thank God for the wonderful education we had. I thank for the priests and people who have, have, have been uh, highlighted. They've been great highlights in my life. I'm sad to see today that um, because of a few do wrong, the whole people there's a tag put on the majority of people. We wouldn't have education in Ireland only for the, the Sisters of Mercy were the first walking nuns. They worked with Florence Nightingale side by side 
a tent from England, a tent from Ireland. They worked side in the battlefields. And the convent where I went to school with in in Gort in, in Kenvara was they came from Gort there. And Gort was founded by Mother Aloysius Doyle. And Mother Aloysius Doyle was the youngest of the contingent that left um, that came back from the Crimea War. And in, eight, in 1857, she was sent from Carlo to found the Mercy Convent at Gort. And while I was at school as a girl there in the Mercy Convent at the girl, uh, they celebrated a hundred years. And the sisters all went up to Gort and we boarders were at Canvera and um, a benefactress arrived in and we had a very special meal. We had the day off. And we went for long walks out into the heart of the country. And of course, they were allowed to spend their money, bits of money to get their purse and spend it, put in it. And they kept saying to me, who led the walk with another friend, Mary Jane Quinn, Sister Mary, walk quickly so we reach the shops and we can, they could buy what they need themselves and that. It was like a, a free day, a lovely day and that. And, of course, some of them fell by the wayside. They couldn't reach walking. They, they, were, they were from the city. They weren't used to walking and that. So I was used to spreading it out. So we took the money from them. And whatever they wrote down in the box, I'd get it in the shop for them. And we returned with it. And we returned in the evening with a lovely... Um, uh, I think when we came back, we had our tea. And it was beautiful ginger cake, homemade... And our tea, I tell you, we were truly ready for it by the walking and all the, despite the biscuits and all the rest of it. And I thank God for that, that it got a very good foundation. And we wouldn't have the education only for the sisters in those days. We wouldn't have the hospitals and the schools and that. And I often feel it's very sad to see that eating bread is soon forgotten. I'm a very loyal, sincere person. I never forget any soul who has helped me. I can tell you back to the people who have helped me. I can name them. They're all in front of me. I think I'm like my father. He had a wonderful mind. He could read the, the paper and he could quote it back word for word for you. And remember also, it, it's only dawned in me recently, when we went for our confirmation, we went to court. There was the, the convent school. I was in the ordinary school. There was the boys' school, there was Kiltartan school. We were all divided up and we went for a day and we were all questioned. And then at the end we had the, the rehearsal of what we were going to sing for the next day. We got a very good background and training. That stood to you in every profession and every walk of life. And the, I happened to meet the group and I was one of the youngest, ten and a half, and the eldest would be every five years was um, a man about 18 years of age. And the bishop asked different questions and we put up our hand. And he asked, could we tell him the seven degrees of holy orders? I was the only hand that put the hand up. And he was stunned what I was going to say. And he said, porter, reader, exalter, acolyte, deacon, subdeacon and priest. They were stunned. My teacher was stunned because she had never done that with me. My father at night had been asking the questions that we might ask. And he said, see if you can remember this. We will have to memorize. See if you can remember that. So I did. And that was the very question was asked. So we'll, we'll come back. We'll come back yeah. in a minute to the yeah. to the to the church and your views yeah. of the church and all. Because yeah. I, I'm yeah. speaking to you not long after yeah. the papal yeah. visit, yeah. and it's yeah. been very much in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But but a bit better your parents. So they were they were, were, far, were farmers. They were farmer uh, farmers. They worked very hard. We were up very early in the morning, uh, but uh, we had a great sense of love, hmm. and the parents always said, encouraged you. And whatever you do, do it well and leave the rest to the Lord. Do your best and that's all. And that is a very good thing because sometimes people are put under pressure and that's what's causing a lot of their problems mm -hmm. late in life. So I think your genes, your family background has a lot to do with your whole life as well. Mm.
And was your, your, your mother and father, were, were, they, were, were they, what was their education background? Were they well my, raised? My, you, father, my father was a self-educated man because his father died when he was young and his mother was left a widow. And his brother died later on in life. And he was with his mother on the farm and his mother's vision failed and he read to his mother. And as a young man, he got involved with football, sport, and like the young men of his own life there. And he, he was involved in politics, he was involved in everything. And he could get up at any organisation. He said he made, the teachers said, I remember Mr. Don and teachers met, they made them, he made them ashamed because the way he could get, get up and speak without a note. And I feel it's important today when you're talking that you speak from the heart. How can you expect children or the priest in the church to take in, if you can't talk from the heart and explain it to them, how can you expect them if you're reading pages and pages from the Bible and Old Testament? It's a waste of time. I feel with, like my father, 20 minutes or half an hour is enough for a small child. And then we worked very hard. We had um, the pony and trap. We would go for rides, and um, the partner said we'd go into the go to the woods for a walk, pick the um, the strawberries, go out among the animals. On a Sunday, we would dress. Uh, they would get the pony and trap out, and we lived not too far. There was monks further on, and they had a pony and trap, and they would be out on a Sunday afternoon as well. And we, our little pony Peggy was a treasure she was a flyer and we'd say daddy pass them out pass them out pass them out daddy pass them on south leave them behind you know with lovely simple innocent fun you know lovely simple innocent fun and we had a dog teddy in that and you know the everything was so much part of our family and that's why i love you know the family life was important i think Sometimes we have lost, with a lot of technology, we have lost, we've lost the family life. We have lost communication, personal communication, where you could talk around the table when you come in from school and then you had to change your clothes straight away and your meal would be ready because you didn't get cooked meals in a country school, you took your sandwiches and that. And then you sat down your meal. And then at the evening meal at night, um, they would often, after time, your parents would get out with, from you. What happened during the day? Nowadays, the parents are working. It's not, it's not easy. They have to work two to two for, to make ends meet. They're having the same time for, the, for the, the children as you would in my situation. You would talk it at the table. You're talking at the table. You would ask how we had a good day, did anything happen, and all of that. And you would automatically, you know, ream it off. To, to your parents, what had happened in that? Do you have, did you have brothers and sisters? Brothers and sisters? Hmm? I had uh, two sisters. I have a sister who married in my home eventually, and I had a brother through illness who had died between you and that. And that was a very heartbreak for me and family, but as you know, the, our faith helped you to come to terms with him. And perhaps things that have happened in my life has helped me to help other people. But did you go directly from Galway to Sunderland, or I where, was there something <laughs> in between? What happened was, um, in, in, um, nine, in around the, the time before that, uh, as a, when I got older, before I, I went to secondary school and then the rest of around that time and part of it, I, I raised my father, uh, my, one of our neighbours, and my father wasn't able to go because he was busy with the farm and different things. And we raised a lot of money for so often, every month or so, for God building of Galway Cathedral. <coughs> we also raised money for to build three churches in our parish. And um, I remember when the foundation stone was laid in of Galway Cathedral, my father and myself were invited to the laying of the foundation stone. And of course, when uh, by the time it was built, I was in the convent. But when they said people saw me, two sisters from Sunderland were neighbours um, living the other side of a parish, and they saw that I was helped visiting the sick, I would go in and paint the place for patients, I would um, look after the elderly, you know. My mother was very kind, and we had anything spare, 
special and there were any elderly say if we had kid it was a rail tree at Easter to have kid and my mother would pack a little basket we didn't have thermos flask in those days my mother would a lovely bowl and she would put the the dinner in for the lady and she put the sweet in another bowl and I would go on the bicycle and I would deliver it to the to the elderly have a chat with them come back and have my own meal if they were able to come hospitality was a tremendous thing for me all my life and probably that's where I brought my mother had my mother had very hospitable person um, mother different from my father with the both clicked together with absolute wonderful so the sisters had heard about me and they come and asked me and I was thinking about it and then uh, another order came to church and I was thinking about it of, of the missions and I felt my father was a bit anxious of going in the missions and that in case you know that perhaps I was too frail for that to go on the mission and that and eventually the novice mistress was visiting Ireland and they wrote again a few times and then all of a sudden I made up my mind and I decided to come that that must have been a sign that I was needed here in in, in Tuntalet at that point, you you had already become you'd decided on your path, had you? Uh, or I, I I had I was um, going on seven, you know seventeen eighteen, and yeah. I decided perhaps uh, perhaps the Lord what I felt the Lord was calling me, but I never expressed it until I mentioned it to my parents. A great respect, I was brought up with great respect for our parents and the elderly. I was a tremendous thing. Respect is a wonderful thing, absolutely. So that has lasted me all my life. My father was a great man of culture and respect and dignity. Dignity for every person, the individual person. I feel like the song, nothing comes from nothing, should nothing ever could. Say that again. Um, nothing. Nothing comes from nothing, should nothing ever could. And I felt in the background, we bring, like I said to you in the beginning, we bring our genes, our culture, and how we went. That is also a stepping stone to the life we're going to lead. So when I came to Sunderland, I came by boat. And my teacher in the junior school was living, her sister was living in Dublin at the time, and she said she would take me, she would... Um, I come and stay with her in, in, in Dublin. Her sister was there. She was living with her sister and husband. And they would take me to the boat. I went up a few days beforehand. And her sister at that time had gone into Luke's hospital for a major breast operation. That was 60 years ago. The pay, the, they had paid for her. They hadn't told their parents and that night, the night before I left, they were called to the hospital. It looked as if it was the end. They were desperate, they lit the candle, and Geraldine was a baby. She just celebrated her 60 years. She was a baby, and they asked me to take care of Geraldine. Sure, I was a bit worried in case Geraldine would cry and the people next door would think that, you know, that I wasn't looking after her because I wasn't used to living in the city. I was used to the freedom of the countryside. And I thought, if they come in with the baby cries, what am I going to do? These people do not know me. They think I'm something to the child. Anyway, she was good as gold. And the next time, mid of the night, she took a change for the better. And she never looked back. And eventually, she died eventually from old age. And it was one, and it was prayer again. We prayed that night. I was praying. You see, we trusted God long ago, because you prayed for fine weather to do the harvest. You trusted God in all your needs. They haven't the same needs today for trusting. I noticed Pope John Paul II noticed. Was about in eighty six or eighty eight. It was near one marine year that the people had lost faith. But greater still, what led to that loss of faith, they had lost the love for the Virgin Mother Mary. 
And I feel it's through Mary I've gone to Jesus all my life. And that came out very strongly when I joined the Legion of Mary. It joined me very strongly. It helped me in the early days when I entered. It was totally different. All red brick houses in a community, very big community. There was 123 in the community at the time. They were teaching in the schools and all over. And this, a big secondary school with 800 girls on. The Christian brother had the boys and that. And then you had years of formation. And like you would have, you could read, you read about that all the time, a formation. But the things that struck me that I remember most is the sisters going out on visitation on a Saturday and taking all these young nuns with them and seeing the people at the time. It was after the war. It's a totally different Sunday than today. Just as it was totally different Ireland that I left. It's a totally different Sunday than today. People were getting over the war. They had been bombed here. They had suffered tragedies here. Lost family, lost friends here. They were all working hard to make a living. When the men were, were called to war and everything, the women walked in the shipyard. There was about 700 of them. And there's a lady who has written a book on that now. It's wonderful how all her history is coming through. And of course, I, I, I have an interest in every, everything because of my father and the background. Mm. And my whole life is interest in every aspect of life. What, so how, how long you're, are you? Six, how long are you in Sunderland? I'm now? sixty years in Sunderland. On the sixteenth of October, I'd be sixty years in Sunderland. So do you mind? Do you mind me asking? And I was always, I was always encouraged, told not to, not to ask a, a, a woman her age. Do you mind me asking what I age? I don't you're? mind my age at all. In fact, I'm proud of my age, and I'm proud, that, and I thank God that I'm able to do what I'm doing at my age. I think I mesmerised the seafarers, because. Um, they, they, they can't understand how I can get up, climb a ship and get up in the ship as fit as a fiddle, no pain or ache. So I thank God for all of that. I've suffered a lot from mucus and guitar and, and, and things, but no serious thing, thanks be to God. Mm. So I thank God for my health and strength. And thank God that I will put it to the good. Because I suppose you can be old in years and young at heart. Do you think yourself young at heart? I do. I'm young at heart. And what, what, what age? And because you never, you never said. So what, what, what I'm, age I'm are actually, you? I'm actually uh, 78 now. 78? Yeah. In, in, in and I feel as if I'm just starting life again. You were telling me as I came into this little centre in Stella Maris Centre, down in, in the middle of Sunderland Port, how you painted uh, every bit of it yourself. Or your pa apart from those one bit you couldn't, couldn't reach. Uh, the top bit with the boards and the very top... Um, I, I, I left that and I was going to get a gentleman to come in it and sadly um, I got a bit of a disappointment because he, he wasn't able to come. He had taken a little overdrop the night before <laughs> and he wasn't able to come and I was worried about the insurance and that. So I go over to the, um, go over to the ship and I meet Mark from Odin's shipping line. And meeting Mark has become a great friendship and a great bond. And Mark is not a Roman Catholic and that. And Mark tells me the two John the painters who are painting would like to see me. So I go over and I thought, goodness me, I hope this man hasn't told these men. I can't afford two painters. I might afford to pay one painter, but two painters to do that bit of thing. So I go over and they said I had to worry about the money that the merchant made. They went for a man um, from the portrait and saw me painting and he wanted them to come over and see in an hour's time sure they were mesmerized when they come over sure there's nothing to be done they said only outside and they painted it and it was all free and this year again getting ready for the tall ships last year i make i always make preparation plan and cook plan and then so i made preparation that i would paint inside i would redo everything have it beautiful for the tall ships and the seafarers and also, I would paint outside. And the lady had put some money aside for me to help me. And I asked this gentleman's advice, Bernie, um, who worked with, for the builders, a wonderful man, um, about the painting. Who could I get to, who would he recommend to paint? He said, no, Sister Mary, I will paint outside for you. At pleasure. No money, no paint. He wouldn't take anything. Right. So... This year, last year as well, I painted all of here and um, the thing. 
I renewed everything within here. But three years ago, the sailing was very bad. I've done everything by every time I would get a bit of money, I would do something. So as Sister Rendred said, Sister Mary, I have some money because you haven't been in holiday for a long time. And I said, Sister Eldred, may I have a check for the tile company? I need some tiles. Just the amount that I'm due. And an Anglican friend of mine, Miss Barrow, a tremendous lady. She wasn't that so smart. She was a needlework expert and everything. And through my needlework, another friendship and she loved what I was doing. She helped me in every way. And when she died, she left me £200 in cash. I put it in an envelope and I put it aside. And then another gentleman had given me £100. And I had plenty for the seafarers. And she wanted to do something here. So this day I said to Mark, these old lightings, I said, I won't be able to be climbing ship, uh, climbing stairs or getting up to clean these old fluorescent lightings, I said. Flies going into them and everything. I saw, I said, where you can get where a tile would go in. And I've counted the tiles, I said. I have to mind every penny I get, would you? Every place, I said, so many tiles, four for here, two for there. And we could get them in. My, uh, Mark looks it up on the internet and he... He goes, go up there on the internet, and he said, right, Sister Mary. said, Mark, you get them. I have the money to give you in cash. Mark goes out and he gets them. He was so delighted, we tried one in. And Paul came over from the port to check up everything was right. And we got the, we got the, tile, the lice put in. And Bernie and myself put the, the tiles in. I had a, a very cleaning day, getting out all the old tiles and getting cleaning and that. I was his able-bodied helper and I handed everything up to him and had everything worked out. And we got the place lovely. So it's all built up on love. I went out when I got the beginning. I got the tables in the charity shop. I painted, I sanded them in the convent garage. Yeah, furnished them and painted them. And Bernie again helped me with things like that and told me where to get. Wonderful. No matter what I've undertaken, the Lord has sent wonderful people along to help me. The little sisters of the poor, where I worked with Connect, said to me once, you remind me of our foundress, Jan Jurgen. She believed in the providence of God and St. Joseph. And no matter what she wanted, it came in. And I, they felt that the same, the same was with me. Now, that is what other people are thinking, not what I'm thinking. You know, I mean, I thought that. But they pointed that out to me very clearly. And I felt, yes, you are right. Mm. Have, everything has come in as I think that. But you, don't, yeah. but you don't, I think it's fair to say you don't, you, don't just, you don't just pray for it and sit back and expect it to come. Oh, no. I feel like the thing that, like I've been taught, do your best and the, the Lord will, and the Lord will provide you see, the older people in Ireland relied also on the providence of God. They had to rely on the weather, pray for the weather. I remember one time, my mother in the early years when I was a small girl, when she went out every morning, there was something dead. It was an animal. And a cow was an awful lot of money then. The mountain other was pig dead. And the last thing I think was that a horse or something else had died. She went into the priest and she said, Father, she said, I wonder, she said, is it wrong to pray for animals? And she told him her story. And he said, I understand what you're talking about. He's a very holy man. I understand what you're talking about. He said, I will offer mass, he said, and go home. He said, I have a friend who is um, do with the animals, um, you know what I mean? A vet. Vet. I have a very friend, he said, who's a vet, he said. And I will ask him, he said, to come out and see to the farm for you and check on in case there's food poisoning or anything. She said, Father, it's not that, she said. There's nothing like that. I feel, she said, there's something more than that. And I feel a blessing would do that. So it's right. Father offered the Mass 
and he kept in touch with her and he moved from the parish nothing ever died after that six years later father died he was not a well man and he moved away and afterwards we discovered she went out there was a pig dead that day that he had died and nothing ever after that I have no time for piosity or holier than thou you I've don't no, I have no time for that I have time for genuine prayer and penance in my convent in the morning, I went to my Mass this morning. It was a Eucharistic service. I go in now and I have my Mass prayers. And today I came out. I met all the sandwiches. I have a little refreshment ready for you. I saw the things I needed for the seafarers. And I saw over my convent door is written in the chapel, serve, go out and serve the Lord with joy. And that's what I have, that motto has stood to me all my life. Another thing that has stood to me as well was, our founder's mother Macaulay said, that the proof of love is deeds. Kind words are good as well, but sometimes you need a lot more deed. The poor need help today, not tomorrow. And any project I've taken on, I first take it to the Lord in prayer. I've worked with very spiritual people. I've worked a connection with the Legion of Mary. I've worked very closely in parish work connection with the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And when I took on a project with the homeless project that I did for 45 years, the, they always came forward to help me and support me. They've come even yet to support me. They're behind me all the time. They're the first one there. I have other people like the Rotary, the Lions, I have the, the Catanians have started, there's lots of people late going to be doing funding. They didn't know about half what I was doing until they saw it on television. They had the clue what I was doing down there. Because until the torchships, very few because of security and because 9-11 had put a, a, a barrier to a lot of things, as you know. It changed our whole life. It changed our freedom of travel. It changed everything. Security... All within, the, I have no fear of being in here because I'm more protected than the Queen. I tell security that a man from Sunderland got into the Queen's bedroom. But nobody can come into Sister Scholastic and nobody can enter that port unless Sister has told them that they're coming in connection. There's nobody can enter that port. I have to be past security. And that's it. Think of the, what they have to suffer. Um, loneliness, isolation, away from their family, uh, when the family are sick, it's not easy. <coughs> you know yourself, if somebody in hospital, you can get your car and go and visit them. They can't. That is why the internet communication is so important for them yet. It's not alone for the seafarers I'm here. I'm here for the welfare of all within the port. I feel here I'm walking on holy ground. I'm walking on people who built the ships that went all over the world. They went all over the world. They, we had the ships during the war, special designed ships and that, and they were designed here by Cyril Thompson's here in Sunderland. And he went over to America to have them built because they knew they'd lose, lose a lot of ships here because of the war. And they went over there to have them built. And they lost the thing on the way. Uh, they were torpedoed and they were recovered and the ship went along and they were built in America. The, good, the, pe the goodness of people, the goodness of lay people, there's so many unseen people. They would give you, if they knew I needed something, they would give me the last sweet they were eating. I've met people like that. The proof of all of the blessing of that is that things spread. Instead of dying down, that it spread out. I have seen the last project that I've undertaken flourish. I don't want, I said to Sister Railroad, she, knew, she knows I don't want any honours, OBEs or personal reward. I want nothing like that. The greatest honour was the women's, um, somebody wanted to put me for a lot of people for what the work I've done in the past. And I said no. But the, the Women's League from Penshaw, who had tremendous support to me, they put me here on, um, uh, they got the paper blessing for me for my work 
within the port and in the community. And they are still helping me. I could have you here for weeks on the people <laughs> who are helping well, me. Like, I'm, I'm sure you'll get fed up from me before the weeks pass. But anyway, uh, yeah. um, the, I heard you when you were talking to the, to the Ukrainian seafarers a yeah. few minutes ago. Um, yeah. And we're here, it's, it's early on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And I heard you saying that you'll be here till 9 or 10 o'clock tonight. Yes. How, 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 much, how much of your day and how much of your week do you spend it's in the Stella Maris? Uh, yeah. Since uh, in the early days, um, when I finished, with, I mean, for, I was, for the few years I was doing the homeless project, it, was, it wasn't easy as well. And then I'd come down here and I'd start to paint and do. Now, I came down here because there was cleaning to be, I'm the cleaner, I'm the counsellor, I'm the decorator, I'm the advisor, I'm, um, I'm the shop, shopper. I'm the bargain hunter. Do you have an I, assistant or are you the assistant I as well? I have no assistant. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, everything until now I've been doing. I have a parish contact, Pauline Waters, who is connected with three of the parishes for help. Uh, I have people now, a lot of people outside who are not involved with the boat. I got, actually, I got people trained in the early day. When I went to the Merchant Navy, and uh, Merchant Navy Health and Safety Course, I was flying it because I knew where I was going. And I also got that wonderful book, Seafarers' Rights. I've learned such a, I've learned such a lot on connection with welfare. I have read and that, and I went to one of the meetings one day and I said to them, I said, I've been reading this book, I said, and I would like, I said, how to know all of that. How can the seafarers download that, I said, if they haven't internet for their family? Is there any chance that I could use that, um, the Cronin pumps? And I said, Frank Cronin, the printer, have been tremendous to me all my life, I said. Frank, the Lord of mercy. And now Paddy, his family, and Philip, I said, would do anything for me. And they were printed, I said, if I got the permission in connection with the copyright. So don't worry, Sister Mary, within a week or two, the ITF were at the, at the meeting and the, the unions and that. I had a big box of books. And that very day, I had a phone call from Teesport, from the Anglican Church, from Adrian there. Sister Mary, there's a ship coming into you and will you be there? Oh, yes, I said. I said, it's going to be beside me. I've seen it, I said. Will you go and see if everything is all right on that ship, he said. I said, Adrian, I will be there, and I have got the real thing. I've got the manual with seafarers' rights for them. I have all the manuals. I have anything that's going to help them, I said. The seafarers here, often, sometimes, say one night, I was down here at 8.30 in the evening. The captain rings me, and the sea, it's bad weather, and the, sea, the um, Filipinos had, um, had Filipinos on board. And um, they needed desperately to get cars in the morning and they needed to be in touch because they'd be working with their families. And how long would I be here? Look, Captain, I said, if it's 11 o'clock, I've no problem. I will be here for you. I will be here for you. Um, be here for the seafarers. The seafarers come over. And what I did was I got a taxi back to the ship because it was late at night and um, back to the ship for them. And they were safely back into the ship. I mean, it, what they the lights and everything. There was nothing here. I mean, it's wonderful what has happened here. I mean, I've every seen the progress from day to day. And all the seafarers, they all, no matter what nationality, no matter what their beliefs, they all feel at home with me straight away. I remember um, Jim Leghorn, who worked with me in connection, and he said, he said, Sister is an honorary member of the, of the lines, probably a lioness, he said. He said, wherever I have gone into pubs, clubs or anything, he said, Sister Mary attracts these people, he said. There is something in Sister Mary's mind attracts these people. Whether it's children or thing, people always want to be to me. If I get on the train or people come up to me, they come up and talk to me. I can't get people who never know me. Now they come up, uh, you know, they come up and want to speak with me. I suppose... I remember somebody coming up and they said, goodness comes out in your faces, the Mary and eyes. Your whole personality with me. You're deep down evidently a very happy person. I said, I am. 
I might have a lot, a lot of problems, I said. A lot of people bring their problems and I'm trying to, to work them out. And I said, you know, it could get you down. But I said, I have an inner peace in my heart that nothing can take. Where does that come from? That comes from uh, my love of God and also it came from my family background. When I had people coming for religious instruction, but people came to me as individual, men, women and children. They would want, some would want to come into the church, uh, some would, would just want to come and talk in connection with their, 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 their life. This day, this lady came and she rang the convent doorbell and she said she wanted to speak to Sister Scholastica. And the lady said, this lady here to see you, Sister Mary. And the lady came in and she said, Sister Mary, she said, and I knew the lady, and she said, um, she wasn't Roman Catholic, her husband was and her girls. She said, I go to an osteopath, she says, and she said, my back and different things, she said. And he said to me, she said, yesterday, I really think what you need is to talk something in the spiritual line. That's what you need, not me. He's a very honest man. She went to the priest, and the priest said, go to Sister Scholastica, she will deal with you. I said, I have all the time in the world to listen to you. And so I said, bring the lady in a cup of tea. And as she talked with her life and different things, I felt she had guilt. And the guilt came with the put on to, back to her in connection with her father. She had very good parents and everything, but the mother died and the father needed care. The husband walked um, abroad, um, travelled, and she wasn't able to look after him. And she got him into a home. And I think his anger got something and always complaining and this and that, and the red thing got the top for her, and that was the problem. Now I said, I reasoned out with her, and we went through every angle of it. I said, I put it before you now, I said, you have told me a true picture of yourself, and this is all coming from guilt. This has only started with all of guilt and everything. And I said, I think you have time to think about it, because I said, um, the two teenagers are going through college, your husband is away, and you have too much time to think about it. And I said, guilt is a terrible thing. It can get you down. And I said, if we can get, get, if we can get this away gradually. And I said, we'll say a little short prayer together, and I will pray for you, I said. And I think, if you ask Father, a little blessing as well, the priest will send you to me. She went back in a month's time to her, he said, you didn't come to me anymore. The tension had gone from her body and all. The tension and all. And what, what, what was it about? Was it the, the, con the, the honest conversation? That conversation. And to be reassured by me that what she was doing was right. Mm -hmm. I, I reassured her. There was nothing she could do. And we went through every aspect of it. I said, if you had him at home, you couldn't get out. There's nobody to look after him. You know, if you, um, you wouldn't be able to get the help you had. You wouldn't be able to lift him. You wouldn't be able to see through the medical needs he had. I said, actually, he's in the actual place where he can get all of that. And you're going in all the time to visit him. You're washing, you're bringing everything you have. And she's the happiest person out. I haven't seen her. When people are ready to go, let them go. Don't. It's people hold on to their children and that and they keep them down and don't let them grow and let them spread their wings. When people like that come to you, you know how long they needed you, you know that you're there if they ever need you, they can come back to you. But otherwise let them go. Let them live it out and see if they can if how they can manage. And people in the medical as well themselves, uh, like you said, through situations like that and past guilt and things, or things happened in their life, perhaps had an abortion in their life and all of that. And he took, perhaps coming into the church, talking it over. Um, 
I've had all kinds of people come to me. The lovely thing about it is, my habit has helped people to come to me. It hasn't stopped them from them. They probably know that I stand up for the conviction I believe, that I am prepared, even if somebody at gunpoint took me life because of what had been done and abuse and all of that. And I thank God for the blessing of my community and how the, the way my community has supported people. And I discovered a lot of the people uh, needed something from their past life. It went back often to childhood. And it perhaps sometimes, uh, whatever, be very careful, I always feel, what you do for on a child, that the child never forgets. I'm jumping out of the recording here for a second. This brought us on to conversations about the Catholic Church in a broader capacity in the context of recent papal visit to Ireland and also all the abuse scandals at the hands of the Catholic Church down through the years. Now, I have to confess that I was not um, hugely comfortable about uh, asking um, a 78-year-old nun who has been based in the United Kingdom for the past 60 years about this. But the conversation went there, and and to be fair to Sister Mary, she was happy to speak about her own perspectives um, and give her own thoughts on on those scandals and on the effect and the impact that has had. The recent papal visit at home yeah. and how that was, it was, very, it was actually very divisive in Ireland. There was a lot yeah. of protests and a lot of support and it was almost like there was nothing in the middle. And then, and then you, you were talking about the, your pride of wearing your habit. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about kind of the church at a broader, high level and all that it's gone through and all that the pain and suffering of people who have been in the church uh, and, ch and Tomb is very close, the Tomb babies yeah, are very yeah. close to where you came yeah, from yeah. and various scandals all over the world. But how I, do you respond? I, what, I'll tell you why. You, how do you deal I, with it? No, I'll tell you why, bye. There's, a, there's a many sides to every story. The children who was, uh, the people who were expecting babies then, they were expecting babies then and um, the, the families didn't want to know. Nobody wanted to know. They were frightened to tell their families. Their family had, they didn't want that. It would be a, a stigma on them and a thing on them. Very easy to talk about today, but I'm talking about long ago. Uh, it's very, a, a stigma on the family. They didn't want to know. Probably many of these girls would have had abortions if there was abortion going at the time. Probably they had abortions going at the time. Uh, many of them would want to keep their children and the, the people were poor in Ireland that time and the government didn't have that much money to give to the people either I mean it's all put on to the nuns and I'm, that is not wrong that is wrong that is wrong, wrong. because the families it, it, it didn't and, and I remember somebody saying to me recently this was a gospel and many people have spoken to me and it said she knew this girl who was expecting a baby and the father said to her Strange Catholics, strange Catholics, man. Uh, you come back, but we don't want that thing back. That was the respect for life. And I think the part about it, the sisters didn't have the way with. The sisters had to work night and day very hard. I'm working very hard today because of the way I have worked in my lifetime. The sisters were slaved to come over here to get the education Everything they owe to the Sisters of Mercy here, their education, Catholics and non-Catholics will tell you that and they have respect for them because of that. You don't have respect because they met a few of the sisters who would be uh, very angry with them and they were frightened of and that. But they don't put that against the other sisters. They, they, you take the good and the bad in everything in life. And what's happened, uh, we take for example England under Ireland. I might have thought because of my background history what England did to Ireland, I could say, well, I'll never come to that country of they have done to my country and what they have done my history. Because I'm very involved with all of that and my and the country and that. I will never come. No, there must be forgiveness. Where is the forgiveness? Many of the people who did that are dead and gone today. What I think they must put right is the people of, from the present who have the way with and the money and the everything. They hadn't, they hadn't, the, the people hadn't it. The people, they, those girls, uh, the children would have died 
because of starvation, because they would have nothing. They, they were abandoned by their home. They were lucky if they were adopted. Many people, I've met people who have been adopted and they might be 70 years of age and they want to know their background. And even no matter how badly the parents might have treated them, they always want to know where they have come from, where they have come from. And like I said, um, where could the girl go? They couldn't, they couldn't come back home. And what would they, the children were adopted, and sometimes the people who adopted perhaps didn't treat them right either. But there again, they were victim of circumstances as well. A victim of circumstances. A victim of, and many of great writer people have been adopted. I think it was the Kate Aidy who had been adopted with adopted. What I don't approve is the abuse of priests and all of that. I don't, that's what I, that I would condemn. But I cannot blame the poor sisters. The sisters were under authority as well. They had the church and the government on them. Where would Ireland be today? Where did Ireland get all the hospitals from? Where did they get all their education from? It came from the Sisters of Mercy. The Sisters Presentation Sisters, then all the Loretto Sisters and all. They, they were the first walking nuns. When, they, when the nuns came into Liverpool, uh, the Sisters of Mercy came in, they worked in the Crimea War. When they came into Liverpool, the sisters, soldiers made them walk in front of them. And after that, they had the, pretty, the, the, the freedom to walk the cities of England. Um, England, the past is past, we forget. England has been a good country to many of the Irish. America has been a great country to the Irish. Where would they be without it? So we must forget the past. They're going on and on about this. Where is forgiveness in these people's lives? We must have forgiveness. I could, things have been done to me by one or two things in high places. I found it hard. Because they were in high places. I found it hard to forgive them and not to local wrong. I found it hard to come to terms with it and found it very hard to come to terms with it. I, can't do that. I find it very hard to come to terms with injustice, a, a, a woman for justice. And that's why I liked to see Ferris there. You saw how happy they were there today with me. We can help people a lot by reaffirming people. And I think that's what people who have uh, any mental problem or anything, they need to talk about it. They need to be in, in touch. Medical people sometimes, uh, med spiritual people, they need to have a variety of people that can suss out where exactly that is coming from. Where it's coming from. A, a couple of questions to, to finish off. Do you, ever, do you ever feel afraid or feel fear? And if, if you do, what, what is it that frightens you? I've no, no, I have no fear. I had, as a child, afraid of the dark. And, of course, I, I liked the light. And, I, as a child, fear of the dark. And still, I still like a light. But I have strange people say to me, uh, they're terrified of me. Are you not terrified of being alone in a port? No, no fear here. I would be fair outside the port late at night. You know? I would, but no fear in here. I'm respected and protected in here. I said, I have no fear. No fear whatsoever. And the sisters have the, uh, the, uh, the taxi, the city taxi takes me home at night. What, what, are, you, what are you most excited about? I'm most excited about uh, to seeing this place flourish. And I'm most excited about to see, um, to see, I would love to see internet within the port for the seafarers. And what I have in mind is, if there could be, um, like, say, close part of this and leave it open at night. They need that in other ports, but not in this port at the moment, where they could come in here and assess the internet. What possessions do you have that you prize, or do you have any? I have only my rosary beads and my, I have only my pride possession, my Irish horn rosary beads, and my, my, my book of the, the New Testament, and I have the Bible as well, and the old story. But... I like it in sense. I don't like the group, the gruesome part of it. I feel, I love the Acts of the Apostles because I feel that I'm in the, walking in the footsteps of the early church, going out there and doing God's work, going out and bringing the good news to the people we meet, going out and bringing happiness and joy and supporting people through the high, high, highs, 
the high days of their life and the low days of their life. Final question. Um, lots of people listen to this and might be struggling with their own happiness or figuring out what happiness yeah. is. Mm. What, what, what's your definition of happiness? Happiness is to be content in your own skin, in your own, in your own person. A lot of people are striving to be like, um, to be like the Duchess of Cambridge, like somebody, let's say, a film star, or betting their values in that. I'm my own person, and I've very set standards as well about things. Um, I often feel cleanliness is next to godliness, and I very standing about a clean life, my living a good life myself, a clean life and a clean life in my body. And being, if you're true to yourself, as Shakespeare said, if you're true to yourself, you won't be false to anybody else either. Wonderful. Sister yeah. Mary, it's been wonderful talking to you. I thank you for welcoming me here to, to Stella Mara Centre today. Well, um, I wish you continued, continued success. Well, continued it's luck. thank you very much. It's been my pleasure, and you will be very welcome to come back again and see the progress we've made and to see how things go on from here.